Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at Costa Rica Travel Pass dot com or calling one eight seven 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 eight zero seven two seven seven. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. Glad to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook under LDS Leadership Principles. And you can also find this podcast on iTunes as well as on its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. I, uh, I had a chance actually today to enjoy lunch with Kevin and uh, there's times where you sit down and talk to somebody you just feel like you've always known them and I find that to be very true with uh, with Brother Klusterman although I, I, I do have one thing Kevin you're not supposed to tell him about the samurai sword so so you know ignore the fact that he said that that's a secret I uh, when I was asked several months ago to speak at this conference I wrote out my talk and I loved it I was all set with it and then Elder Holland called and he asked if he could use it for general conference. And, and so I let him use it and so I started over, so this one's not as good. But um, I was thinking about how to start off. And I was thinking about the scripture which says, Be of a good courage. And I wonder what is a good courage? And I think a good courage isn't overzealous. It doesn't force its truth or force my truth at all cost. The assembly today is made up, uh, the here is obviously made up of a wide spectrum of, uh, of faithful Latter-day Saints from the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, perhaps some from the Community of Christ, perhaps some from other restoration movements, uh, perhaps some of you are, are, are non-believers or have a whole other way of, of, of seeing your faith. I recognize that wide array. But the talk I want to give today will be from a Latter-day Saint uh, faithful perspective, but I hope in sharing that that each of us can gain something from some of my thoughts. I wish to address all of you as me being a believer and hope that each of us can be uplifted, uh, and I do so praying that the Spirit of, uh, of God will be uh, with us and would, and would lead me as I share some thoughts. My name is Bill Real. I'm The only reason I'm up here is because I like the internet and I've... Uh, stumbled onto being on a few podcasts. So, so I started off being interviewed by Mormon Stories with John DeLynn. And I must say, too, along with, with Kevin, 
I shared some thoughts, and I wasn't ready for some of the questions that John asked, and so I shared some of my thoughts on, on same-sex attraction and some of those issues. And when I got done and listened to my podcast, I realized that my answers, while I think away from the far right of, of how some of uh, members of the church may view those issues, it wasn't where I, I wasn't comfortable with my own answers. And so it was at that point that I read Kevin's uh, talk, and, and it helped me to grow a little bit uh, personally. And so I appreciate him and, uh, and grateful for the things that he just shared with us. I, uh, aside from doing an interview on Mormon stories, where I talked about struggles of faith and how we can reconcile those and still believe, I also did an interview on FAIR, where I shared my own personal faith crisis. And my personal faith crisis happened while I was serving as a bishop. I still am serving as a bishop, um, but it happened in the midst of that. And I, and I don't know that people can really grasp that what it means to have people, you know, over 100 people who depend on you to be the spiritual leader of, of a congregation, and you yourself every day are trying to find your own grounding, your own foundation. I, uh, at, the, at that point, I also began doing my own uh, podcast, uh, Mormon Discussion, where I, the whole point of the podcast is to help people understand that in all the difficult issues that are out there, I think there's always, always some little nudge of room for faith. I, uh, again, appreciate Kevin, what he said. I also look forward to what Brother Anderson has to share with us about Kirtland. I've known uh, Carl for a long time uh, from a distance. He oversees all the seminary uh, in our stake and has overseen our seminary teachers for a long time. And there's nobody who knows Joseph Smith while he spent his time in Kirtland better than Brother Anderson, so I look forward to his remarks. My goal today is to offer help to two groups of people. Perhaps like me, you'll find yourself in both groups. Group number one is trying really hard to make it back to the Father. They are working out their own salvation with fear and trembling, doing all they can do, but they fall short. They feel discouraged, depressed, and sometimes have a desire to give up. Group number two is struggling with faith. They have come to realize not all is as they had assumed, and their expectations of what the church is is no longer met. And pain and anguish ensue. To both groups, I say I love you. I pray for you. And I want nothing more than to make your yoke easy and your burden light and hope to share how we can get there or at least how we can head that direction. To group number one, we somehow have seen through the glass way too darkly. We missed something. We saw Nephi's, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded without hearing him say, My heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. We hear Nephi's saved after all we can do, and somehow we miss his brother Jacob being told by his father Lehi, I know thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. As a convert at the age of 17, I encountered Second Nephi 25:23 in the Bible Dictionary and assumed that to get to heaven, to live with the Father, I was going to have to do all I could do and expend my own best efforts. Early on, that was easy. I was progressing. I was improving. I could do it. May I share a story? 
When I was 10 years old, and I used to live on a dead-end street, at the end of my street was a, a, uh, a spacious field. And on the other end of that field was a creek. And at one time, the, the creek it rained. The creek became very high with water. The next day, somebody dropped off some old Jew's mattress in the field. And me and my cousin were, were playing in the field, and we got this bright idea. And we thought, this will make a perfect boat. And so we said, we'll take this old junky mattress, which is disgusting, but that's what we did. Took this mattress down to the creek, laid it in the creek, and we both got on top of the mattress thinking we would sail forever. Well, we made it about 10 feet, and the mattress began to take on water and sink quickly, and the two of us had to bail. And uh, and we made it back to to land, which was only a few feet away, but to us seemed like uh, seemed like we were in the midst of a raging river. Just like my misgaged assumptions of my pending success on the mattress in the church, I didn't know what I was in for. About six years ago, I began to grasp that I couldn't cut it. I had serious flaws and weaknesses, and they were going to keep me from ever doing all I could do and likely never expending my own best efforts. I hit a valley. Oh, I would hang around so that I could help people like you and those in my home and other members of my ward get back to Heavenly Father. But I had accepted that I wasn't going to make it in the gospel of works righteousness. And then I came across Ether 12.27. If men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. So let me get this right. God gave me the weakness and the flaws or made me a natural man who makes mistakes and is fallen. Now, why did he do that? So I would be humble. Well, why? So I would turn to his son. Well, why? Because his son makes weaknesses strengths. I, at that point, stopped beating myself up. Consider the following scriptures. Helaman 14.13, If you believe on his name, you will repent of all your sins, that thereby you may have a remission of them through his merits. Alma 24.10, And I also thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and also that he hath forgiven us for our many sins and murders which we have committed, and take away, taken away the guilt from our hearts, through the merits of his son. Second Nephi 2.3 I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy redeemer. Now this doesn't mean one only need believe and thou art saved. We get that. We recognize that keeping the commandments and accepting ordinances and doing good works are all required and necessary. But they're in place to push us to grow, to progress, and through Christ's grace receive the mighty change from Alma chapter 5. The church asks us to do a lot. Now, some of you in the back there, you may not be able to see, but those up front can tell I spend a lot of time in the gym. And uh, that wasn't a joke. Okay, good. So if you can picture a weightlifter, a weightlifter always has a spotter. Now, the church gives us a lot to do. And whatever faith community each of you are in, um, in whatever, whatever spectrum of life, life even asks us to do a lot. And if we think about a spotter, a spotter always asks you to do one more. Give me your best. Do one more. And in the moment you can't, the spotter then takes the weight from you. And I, for me, I see the church that way. It gives me a lot to do. If I had to list all the meetings that as a bishop I'm required to go to, 
I don't meet those requirements. There's, there's dozens of them. The church pushes us. I want to share a story. There was a, a member visiting his family in our ward. He put an object lesson on for his kids. He said, he got up in our meeting and he said, one day I invited my two daughters and one friend of theirs to take a mud bath with me in the backyard. We added silt and water to make a pasty gravy-like mud in a six-foot diameter, one foot deep swimming swimming pool. Then we dressed in our bathing suits and we got in the pool. We covered ourselves from head to foot with mud. We were all actually having a good time in this naughty form of fun, but I was planning something for the girls that they didn't expect. As much fun as that was, the real fun was what came next in the form of an object lesson. I invited the girls to walk across the street with me to Mrs. Molinari's house while we were all still dripping wet with mud. I knew that Mrs. Molinari had a very nice home and beautiful carpeted furniture. We walked up to her porch. We rang the doorbell. She came to the door, and when she saw us, she laughed. Then I asked the question I was prepared to ask. Hi, Mrs. Molinari. Can we come in? She laughed even harder and said, definitely not. I asked, why? Don't you love us? She said, sure I do, but I can't let you come in like that. Well, I was not surprised by her answer, and the girls weren't either. It was obvious to all of us that Mrs. Molinari was perfectly justified in keeping us outside of her home. No unclean thing was going to enter Mrs. Molinari's home that night. That experience taught my daughters that there were two things that needed that were needed to become clean. One, we had to get out of the mud out of the mud puddle, and two, we had to take a bath. Now, if we think about those two processes, may I relate them to being justified and sanctified? It got me thinking as I thought about that analogy. We need to be justified and sanctified, the scriptures tell us. Helaman three thirty five says it is yielding our hearts that brings that sanctification. Think about the temple question. Uh, for those who are from the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, when we go to the temple, uh, we go through a temple interview. And one of the questions we are asked is if we have a testimony of the Savior's role as both Savior and Redeemer. For the longest time, I thought that was just a one-part question. Well, yeah, Savior and Redeemer, sure. And then one day it hit me. I was being asked two separate things in that question. You see, to live with God again, I need to be justified or made clean. This seemingly could be done in three different ways. I could keep the law perfectly, but only Christ did that. So that left me with only two options. One, I could live the gospel, pressing forward with steadfastness, repenting when I fall short. Repentance means change. This was going to be hard at times, and it was require me to make an active effort in my life. The second was in Doctrine of Covenants 19, which says for the Savior said that you could suffer even as I have suffered if you will not repent. Hmm, number three sounds painful, but is it harder than number two? I don't know. Number two sounds kind of appealing. I can enjoy life and take a beating at the end. Oh, yeah, the beating would be rough. But I could take a beating and then enter back into his presence. But there's a problem with that. Remembering that we both must be justified or cleansed and sanctified and changed I came across Doctrine and Covenants 88.21. And it says, And they who are not sanctified through the law, which I have given unto you, even the law of Christ, must inherit another kingdom, even that of a terrestrial or that of a celestial kingdom. 
So that suffering in option number three would justify me. It would make me clean from my sins so that I could stand before the judgment bar of God. But in order to live with God, I also need to be sanctified as well, spiritually changed to be Christ-like. This doesn't happen instantaneously. Every single one of us, right? We know that the mission statement of God is that, uh, that he wants to bring every one of his children home, right? This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, not just his cute Mormon children, but all of his children. I discovered that sanctification comes from yoking with Christ and using his grace or enabling power to change, using Ether 1227 as the backdrop. This change will happen in the eternities for many, for those who would not, you know, who, for those who did not have an opportunity here that it wasn't presented to them. But we recognize that perfection is an eternal goal. It will not be achieved in this life. So rather than bang my head in frustration trying to be perfect myself, which I did for about the first uh, nine years or so of being in the church, I tried something different. I trusted and relied completely on the Savior and His merits. Now, I want to tie this talk into kind of the the precipice of what, what we've got to kind of, what I'm hoping I guess we can walk away with uh, from this. Moroni chapter 10, 32 through 33 says, Notice how one is perfected in Christ first. Then after going through the journey, one becomes perfect in Christ. They are two separate events. To be perfected in Christ is to yoke with him in the baptismal covenant and to live that covenant. When we do so, we have a relationship with the Savior. We borrow his perfection as we keep this covenant. His grace is at work perfecting, uh, perfecting us in our life. So the question is, what is this covenant? And a lot of times, we, whatever faith tradition we come from, we think it is keeping the commandments. But entertain me for a minute. If we think about the, uh, the sacrament prayer that we use in the LDS church, the prayer talks about keeping the commandments, and yet if we keep the commandments, we're also told that God will promise his spirit to be with us. How long do we walk away from taking that sacrament and breaking a commandment? How soon do we trip up? How fast do we make a mistake? I promise to keep the commandments, and he promises the Spirit. I break that promise every day. Oh, I repent, but that doesn't negate that I still broke it. So then I had to look deeper. I said, okay, I'm still failing. I'm still banging my head into a wall, and I'm not going to make it. And then I came across Mosiah 18, the scripture we use all the time, but then a word caught my eye. It said to be willing. And so I promised to be willing to mourn with those that mourn and be willing to comfort those that stand in of comfort, and be willing to stand as a witness of Christ at all times and all places. And so now, rather than measuring my outward behavior, all of a sudden, God is measuring my heart. And I thought, okay, that's unique. So I'm going to go to the bread prayer and the sacrament and see if it... I just had this inkling that I'm going to find that word there. And, and, and even as a bishop, when you double-check to make sure the, the priests are saying the sacrament prayer correctly, you still don't dissect that prayer and, and know it I mean, you know it word for word, but you just don't, you couldn't sit there and say, yeah, that word's there. As I went back to the bread prayer, I realized that the word willing was there as well. And so my promise is to be willing to keep his commandments. And then his promise is if I do that, repenting when I make mistakes, he promises spirit to be with me. There is so much more to the subject, and I realize not everybody perhaps in this room is a, is a member of, uh, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
But what I want everybody to take away from this is we have this feeling inside us that the outside world within faith or religion says you've just got to be perfect. You just have to keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what I would share is that on some level we also have to understand that God looketh on the heart and that our value isn't measured by that, keeping the commandments. It's measured by our willingness to do so. It's measured by our effort to get up every day, dust ourselves off, and try again. I want to finish with uh, on this part, and I want to share four other thoughts uh, before I close. On LDS.org, there was a new definition of grace put up um, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, but it was, it was different than what we find in the Bible dictionary. It says, No one can return to the presence of God without divine grace. Through the atonement, we can all be forgiven of our sins. We can become clean before God. To receive this enabling power, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes having faith in Him, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ the rest of our lives. The church could have easily said, receive the Holy Ghost and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ the rest of our lives, but instead they said, in trying. Now to group number two. This was the group who's struggling in their faith. Um, I know it hurts. I know from a personal standpoint, it seems we seem unable to find our way out of it. I teetered between options like having my name removed from the records and attending some non-denominational church in the country and to stop paying tithing and to sit in the back quietly is another option. It caused me to rethink everything I held to be true. I went from knowing everything to knowing nothing to knowing some things and hoping for a whole lot. I have really come to appreciate what Paul said when he said, faith is to hope for things, the evidence of which not seen. May I share four thoughts for perhaps the one person in this room who is struggling with those same types of things that I did. One, God loves all his children. Being a Latter-day Saint gives me no advantage in regards to salvation. His work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of all of his children. Again, not just the cute Mormon ones. But his gospel does give me opportunities to mourn and comfort others, to develop Christ-like attributes, which speeds up my pace to become perfect in Christ. It gives me an extended family to share my burdens and to provide opportunities to be protected and shielded from the unnecessary scrapes and scratches that can occur in the world. Number two, we must recognize that, for me, I don't see the church as perfect. It doesn't encompass all truth, and I don't even think it claims to. Article of Faith number nine says there are still yet many things to be revealed pertaining to the kingdom of God. Number three, you can't go back. What I mean by that is that one in the midst of a faith crisis sometimes wants nothing more than to return to the beautiful, innocent view they once held. You can't. You can only move forward. Well, there are, at as it seems, I'm sorry, while where you are at times seems like it will last forever, it won't. I know for some a faith crisis can be weeks, sometimes it can be months, and I know in some instances it's been years and maybe even decades. On the other side lies something as beautiful and perhaps even more beautiful than where you came from. If you stay in the church, it will require you to realize the church's limitations, to adjust your own assumptions and expectations, to decrease the size of what you have decided is doctrine, and to increase the size of the tent that a good Latter-day Saint can fit into. It will require you to see less black and white and to open your eyes to shades of gray 
and maybe even shades of color. Number four, God wishes to compel none of his children. If he did, he would have come down himself with us, and we could have, we could have had him in our presence, and perhaps the plan could have involved just staying there with him, but it didn't. We came to be out of his presence so that we could prove ourselves here with. Therefore, our agency is real. We have choices and we are free to choose. And like many of our choices, I share that faith, at least on some level, is a choice. Finally, faith is not necessarily knowing. It is to not know and still act. It is to move forward, recognizing that doubt in some form is always going to be present. In fact, one cannot exercise faith without the presence of doubt. I finish by saying it is my prayer, and I mean this, that each of us will find peace throughout our lives when we need it most. May we each in our paths and on our journey find the blessing of faith and his amazing grace. Thank you.
Seal it, seal it for.